0: hey this is sebastian the jet you are listening to soccer subs this is
1: jordan stewart and you're listening to soccer sub go listen hey this is rob stone from fox sports you are listening to the soccer
2: subs podcast the soccer subs podcast it's game on
3: what's going on everybody welcome to the soccer subs podcast episode 94 my name is ronnie and i'm joined here with my three soccer subs co-hosts christian Voss, and eric and before we get started with the show let me just give a quick shout out to our two soccer subs show sponsors first one up is paragon sports your premier destination for activewear they're located here on 18th and broadway here in manhattan in the city go check them out for all your running needs basketball soccer baseball equipment and go give them a follow at paragon sports on instagram and our second show sponsor Taqueria 86 an amazing mexican soccer themed restaurant they're located on 94th and broadway here in the city as well go check them out for some amazing tacos burritos drinks tequila mezcal all that good stuff and go give them a follow at taqueria86ny on instagram now that that's out the way chris and vas eric good to be on with you guys mls week six is in the books how are you guys doing
1: I think I was a little bit better last week, but going to Atlanta for the Rebels wasn't easy. Looking forward to speaking to a very special guest in the studio. We're going to introduce him soon. But yeah, happy to be here, Ron. Thank you.
4: Oh, man. Episode 94. It's truly great to be back. Another week of MLS. We got international break finally over and just there's just so much soccer to talk about. I'm super excited
2: excited to be back i feel like it's been way too long since i had a little sabbatical in charlotte for uh, the last episode but can't wait to talk on this past weekend's result because we do have a lot to say i'm pretty sure and of course highlighting our guests that we have in studio today so looking forward to a good one guys
3: Appreciate it, And awesome. yeah, for the soccer fans, for the MLS fans, big show coming up for you guys today for episode 94. We got a special guest joining us for this episode. He's a color commentator and broadcaster for Atlanta United, where fans can tune in to 92.9 The Game and the Atlanta United Radio Network. He's also the host of the Soccer Down Here show, a daily program based in Atlanta covering the world around soccer in Atlanta. You can catch that on Twitch, iTunes, and on Patreon. we got the one and only Mr. Jason Longshore joining us. Jason, thank you so much no for joining problem, us. Jason. (laughs) what's up y'all thanks for having me on (laughs) Jason first things first from all of us how are you can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into soccer at Atlanta United
0: yeah good it's been a good start to the season for Atlanta United uh, especially after the last couple years of just all kinds of chaos injuries poor form all kinds of everything so this has been nice I've been with the club since it started in 2017 calling games for uh, 92.9 92.9 the game I filled it in on TV a few times and I got into soccer when I was a kid it was the World Cup in 1986 when I was little uh, I'd played one season before we didn't have really like we didn't have a pro team in the 80s when I was a kid we didn't have a huge soccer culture that I knew about at that time my parents didn't grow up with the game and I played one season at the local YMCA and I liked it but I didn't have like a reference point for it and then that reference became Diego Maradona and I saw him in the semifinal Finals in the final of that World Cup, and I was hooked forevermore. And so it's been an even better time for me as an Argentina fan and a US fan after the World Cup. I'm loving my soccer life right now. It's good. It's very good.
3: Appreciate it. And Jason, before we get talking MLS real quick, let's just get to some MLS news from this past weekend, MLS week six. Our very own NYCFC drawing on the road against the New England Revolution. Myself and Eric will get into that just a little later on. The New York Red Bulls losing on the road against Jason's Atlanta United at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. We'll get into that just in a few minutes. As for upcoming games, NYCFC face-off this weekend against Atlanta United. And the Red Bulls have themselves the San Jose Earthquakes at home at Red Bull Arena. As for other results, St. Louis FC, we were talking about them last weekend. They are no longer perfect. They got themselves their first loss of the season, losing against Minnesota United 1-0. And in, in regard to the leaderboards, we got FC Cincinnati on top of the East and St. Louis still on top of the West. So great weekend for soccer. Jason, I wanted to throw it to you. I know my colleagues here are Red Bulls fans. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the New York Red Bulls game versus Atlanta United. As we see right now, Atlanta United still strong, second in the East. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about what your thoughts on the game were and on the roster this season and all the great things that Atlanta United are doing right now.
0: Yeah, it was a big bounce back game for Atlanta United. I mean, you go to Columbus during the international window and missing a number of players. Columbus was missing players. A lot of teams were, but Atlanta was missing a lot of extra depth as well. And the game completely got away from them in the second half. It was very uncharacteristic of this group. And I was asked about it all last week. You know, is that a concern? They were, you know, three oh and one coming into that game three one and one after it and is that a concern does that bad 45 does that wipe away the first four games that were good and i didn't think it did but i kept saying that i felt like you needed to see the response early against red bulls to be sure of that and we did and the opening 15 20 minutes for atlanta united against the red bulls was very very strong They played their game. Of course, it's going to have to be modified a little bit, dealing with the Red Bulls' press. Atlanta is a team that wants the ball. They're going to invite that to a degree. I thought they dealt with it really well early on. And kind of playing through the press, set up that ball over the top from Miles Robinson to Derek Etienne. That gets you in behind. It's a goalkeeper mistake, in my opinion, from Cornell. I don't know if he misjudged the shot from Almada. I'm not exactly sure how he didn't control that, but he doesn't, and the first person to react to it was Yakimakis. He's moving as the shot is hitting Coronel, Yakimakis is already moving in front of the goalkeeper. I mean, it's just what he does. His His instincts are so good. He slams at home. That gives you the lead. That is what you have to get against the Red Bulls. And then the rest of the game, you know, I thought Atlanta did everything they needed to do. They were physical when they needed to be, which is something that this team hasn't always done in their history. They gave as good as they got, I think, in terms of the physical play. And that's something with Franco Ibarrá in the midfield and Yakumakis up top. You're going to get out of this group. So I think they managed the game well. They prevented any huge opportunities. Van Zier had one early when he came on for the Red Bulls. But outside of that, it's a really strong win. You know, I think it's easy to to look at Atlanta United games where they've scored a bunch of goals the season and say, oh, well, where was that against the Red Bulls? You have to give the Red Bulls defense credit. They're They're the best in the league coming into this game. It was a fight and it was a difficult fight, but Atlanta did what they had to do to get the win while also still playing their game. And I think that's a huge factor for Gonzalo Pineda and this coaching staff, especially early, you know, In a playoff game, okay, fine. You can get away from your identity a little bit more because the result is all that matters. But early in the season where you're really trying to hammer home the way that you play, the way that you are, you have to stay true to that, even against a team that, look, is a tough matchup because of your identity. The Red Bulls love teams that want the ball. Atlanta United wants the ball. But they were able to do what they needed to do to get this win and still be themselves. And it's a huge momentum booster as you go into another tough game and now in a one of the toughest places to play in this league at Yankee Stadium. And Atlanta should go in with a good bit of confidence.
1: Jason, the first thing that came to my mind was like, obviously, the first 10, 15 minutes. And what I noticed is that Atlanta really spread this Rebels teams out. And then all of a sudden, they're trying to build up with their wingers. And they hypnotize the Rebels and send that long ball. Is that what you were expecting from this team?
0: Yeah, 100%. Gonzalo Pineda spoke about it last week, and there were a lot of people who questioned what he had to say in terms of, we want to attract the press. And and some people are like, oh, why would you do that? Because it sets up the long ball. You don't just play long ball all day. Again, if you're in a playoff game and the game's going a certain way and it's a knockout, different conversation. But you don't come in the door, in my opinion, against the Red Bulls and say, we're just going to give them the ball for 90 minutes. That's not how Atlanta United is. That's not their game. So you had to try to play around that press to create the opportunities. That might be Gerhard Struber sending the the police after. I don't know.
1: Speaking on that, like you mentioned, the Atlanta United team were able to contain not only offensive on the offensive side but also defensively but one of the players that stood out to us and has been the standout for the MLS season was Thiago Almada so I noticed a couple of plays where he actually body faints two of our players and that's just one small thing that he did throughout the game he literally ripped us apart in so many different ways how impressed are you with this player and especially in the game
0: against the uh, rebels he's just an incredible player i mean we've seen some great players in this league over the years and and you go way back in the day with your Valderramas and Echeverris and and so many just unbelievable talents whether they're early in their career or late we've seen them here in atlanta with joseph martinez with miguel Almirón. tiago's on a whole different level he is a potential future number 10 for argentina and that's a pretty heavy number to wear. He's got that ability. And what I love about him is, of course, in the final third, he he's just, he's deadly. But it's not just there that he helps you. He works hard. All the conversation I've had this year, it feels like everybody who is maybe watching this team for the first time is like, you know, we don't want Almada to drop into the midfield. We don't want him to drop into the midfield. He needs to stay higher up the field. No, like he's going to go find the game. You set up a tactical framework to help him, but he's just going to go find the game. He wants to go back and get on the ball. He's going to go get on the ball because he's still going to get into the dangerous spots as he builds up the play. Can't tell you how many times I've seen him pick up the ball off the back line, turn, start the run, play a couple passes, get into the middle third, get into the final third and either deliver the final ball or score the goal. He's just a complete player. And it's awesome. You mentioned the body movement. Like that's something that on the dribble, you know, he's, He's maybe not some of those great, great dribblers that we've seen in this league over the years, but he's so good with that movement. He drops a shoulder so well to get guys to bite. And that was the biggest thing that Atlanta did against the Red Bulls that I thought gave them success. You know, it's one thing to have the short passes and to play fast and to get through that first line, but they dribbled through the first line a lot. And it was Almada. It was Adarujo, who's great on the dribble as well. And it was Franco Ibarra, who's not really a guy that you associate with that, but he's got that good change of pace, too. And they were not afraid to turn, beat the first man, and then the press starts to fall apart a little bit when you get past that first line. I think they were, I, I want to say off the top of my head, like 12 of 19 on the dribble, which is significant against a team like the Red Bulls because you didn't have to risk a pass in those moments. You beat the player with the ball at your feet and created a mismatch going forward.
1: That's what I like too, because we've experienced a little bit of what happened last Saturday against Celarayan with the Columbus crew. Yes. So, creative players tend to damage or tend to create problems for the New York Rebels. But one thing that I noticed in order to stand out in this league, and this is something that Atlanta has, is quality players. I think you mentioned Araujo as well. It was so hard to defend because every pass, every switch play that you guys had were almost unstoppable.
0: Yeah, and and that's been building. I mean, you go back to the goal against Portland where it was like two big switches back-to-back, Almada to Arrujo and then across to Wiley, and then he puts across into Yakamakis. Like, this team has been built to do this really from last year. The problem with last year was you had so many injuries that you were never able to build this continuity and have, like, the chemistry start to fit. And you had some mismatched pieces, you know? I mean, Yakimakis gives you something very different up top than than Joseph Martinez was able to give you last year. He makes those runs in behind. He's constantly trying to stretch the team out. So that's huge. Etienne was big in this game in his first start for Atlanta United. He gives you that ability to go north-south. And he's got good pace, but he's got good size. He's good in those pressing moments, but he allows you to stretch the field on that side whereas Araujo is going to you know tuck in a little bit he wants to get into the the half space and get on the dribble and come in on his left foot which then gives Brooks Lennon space to operate and overlap and and put in dangerous crosses they've been built really really well and all the work in terms of how this team attacks it's not by accident you know you have a lot of guys who bring different skills to the table but complement each other and with Almada and then it feels like we have about four or five different eights who can play with Almada. It's been a Sadic lately, such an underrated guy. He just keeps things ticking over and keeps the ball moving into those spots to set guys up to do what they do. And with that front four plus Sadic plus the fullbacks going forward, it's a lot of weapons to deal with.
1: Yeah, I definitely saw you guys at least the last 20 minutes. You guys could have scored two, three goals easily. Yeah.
0: There should have been a second one. I was hoping <laughs> for a second one, so we didn't have something crazy happen late.
1: Now, from the rebels' perspective, the fans can say, "Well, John Tolkien wasn't playing at left back. Andres Reyes left in the in the second half uh, after the first half because of an injury, and the team is still trying to find ways to improve." Are there any positives that perhaps, from an outsider perspective, that you saw from this Rebels team?
0: Yeah, I thought Cameron Harper was actually fine at left back when that lineup came out and we're trying to figure out like how it's going to go. It was really like right before we went on air that I'm like, guess it's Harper. But I thought he'd be on the right and Duncan might move over to the left. It worked. He was fine. He didn't have any major issues. Um, losing Reyes hurt. But at that point, you're having to really go for things differently anyway because you're one nil down. For me, it's kind of the conundrum that the Red Bulls have always been in, in that this style is really difficult for opponents. And I think opponents who get away from their identity and trying to face it are the ones who struggle. But it has a little bit lower ceiling at times, because in moments where you do concede first, you've got to be able to play and go create a goal. And I think they have players who can do it, but it's such a a switch to flip in the way that the Red Bulls play, you know. It's not easy to just say, okay, now we need to have the ball. Now we need Luquinius to get on the ball as maybe that number 10 and stick there. Maybe we can get two up top in that regard. I don't know if Struber's really figured out the way that he wants to attack in those moments. I know he wants to attack based off the pressure. And that's an obvious, and that makes total sense in the way that they play. But in a game like this one where you fall behind early, you've got to start doing more with the ball. How do they do that? And I think Lucinius can can be that guy. I really do. He's a, a guy who always scares me when he's on the ball. And I think they've got other weapons, but right now you've got Corey Burke, who is, I think, a really combative player. And I think when he is is in the right setup, he can be dangerous. But you bring in Van Zier for a reason and can they coexist? Or does one of them have to go wide in a more of a four-three three or four two three one? I just don't know how the pieces fit just yet. There's some players in this group that I really like. We saw Daniel Edelman for Red Bulls 2 last night against Atlanta United 2, and Edelman's a guy that I've I've always enjoyed. Frankie Amaya is a guy who is so underrated in this league, and he's the perfect fit for the Red Bulls because he can play when the situation calls for it, but he can do all of the Red Bulls defensive things that they want as well. I think it's just figuring out how to add a little more in that attacking half of the field, and really what the configuration is going to be. It's got to be Van Zier, I would assume. It, it, it's got to be Lukinius factoring in. you got to get Lewis Morgan back, too. And, you know, not having him really limits you. I think he can be that guy who gives you more in the attack because all season long, it's really been the same story. Incredible defense, but really not much in the attacking half.
1: And Vas, you can go ahead and and, and uh, say something with to Jason, but you asked Struber about the amount of shots in the game, or somebody asked uh, the amount of shots in the game, and he said that the team was unlucky to get a goal. Do you feel like the team was unlucky, or was you just feeling desperate to taking really bad shots like Cassidy's or Van seer way too far from goal? Or credit I... to Atlanta United uh, defense as well.
0: Yeah, I, I I don't know if I'd say the Red Bulls were unlucky not to get a goal. I mean, they only had two shots on goal. Van Zier could have had one more shot on goal, and that was probably the best chance now that I think about it. I do think they, they took some lower percentage shots, which, look, you have to. That's, that's where the game is at that point. I, I get it. But no, I don't think they created enough. And frankly, I mean, I think when you, you get into the way the Red Bulls generally create, it is from the press outside of. I mean, Tiago Almada had a couple of passes that were risky and got caught, and they nearly provided a break. I thought Atlanta's transition defense was very good. There weren't any major chances for the Red Bulls in this game. The Van Zier one right after he came on is probably the biggest chance, and that's not on goal outside of that. No, I I wouldn't agree with Gerhardt in that, in that sense.
2: Real quick, Jason, so you had uh, mentioned the Red Bulls 2 and Atlanta United 2 game last night, and someone who really stood out, who I think should be getting more game time, seeing how he played against Columbus Crew 2 last week and Atlanta United 2 this week is Wiki Carmona. Yes. I think he could offer a lot off of that bench to be another creative attacking player to try to facilitate attacks if you're down a goal or it's getting late in a match and he could come on to try to go against a very tired defense or possibly a tired defense. But can you highlight maybe because... You know, as an MLS sicko myself, I watch a whole lot of the two teams. Uh, Can you comment on maybe another player other than Edelman who may have made a difference if they had a start?
0: Yeah, so we actually, uh, because we used to do the game for USL in Atlanta for the twos, and I've always loved being around the twos group and, and just that follow through of guys like Caleb Wiley coming through the first team. It's important to be able to tell that story. So we're, we're actually calling the games through my soccer down here platform. We're calling the twos games uh, radio style. Called it last night, and Carmona, absolutely. I don't know why he's not getting more of an opportunity, because I thought he was good a couple of years ago when he was playing in MLS. He was a guy who stood out to me then, didn't play much last year. He was very sharp last night somebody who I was really impressed with another one who I mean I don't know how far he is away from an opportunity is Afore. a forey a forey's dangerous and you know I've always associated him with playing a little bit deeper but he was up on the wing and very good last night he's one who I like Shapiro Thompson was good in the second half I thought it took him a while to really kind of get into the flow of the game but he was very good in the second half no has always been a guy who's intrigued me just because of the size And when he was picked up in the draft, I'm like, okay, this could be a really interesting project. He got injured in the first half. So we didn't see a ton of him, but the athleticism that he has and fitting that style, I think he could be a monster if he can, you know, just connect all the dots moving up to the first team. I did like Valencia as well. Fullback who's on loan from Plaza Amador in in Panama. I liked him too. It was a good game. And it's interesting. We were talking about this on the call. Like I've always felt like Red Bulls too, and maybe it's just it's the nature of the younger team. I feel like they find that blend of being a Red Bulls team. They look like a Red Bulls team, they play like a Red Bulls team, but with more on the ball. And more quality on the ball in those moments where you need to have it. Again, maybe it's just the nature of being a younger team and and they're going to kind of revert to instinct a little bit. But I like the blend. I thought it was a a really fun game to call. I enjoyed it. I I thought Red Bulls, too, honestly, probably should have won it the way it went in the second half. They were dominant, but they did get the shootout. So Carmona, I'm with you. He should be in the first team, in my opinion.
3: Jason, I had a quick question in regards to just Atlanta United from the offseason. And I remember when we were just previewing the MLS season, one team that we talked a lot about was Inter-Miami and how they picked up Joseph Martinez. Just wanted to ask a little bit on, was the writing on the wall, maybe fans expecting that he was going to leave because there were rumors that he was unhappy, but then he resigned. And were Atlanta United fans surprised that he, he left or was the writing on the wall that he was unhappy there?
0: I thought the writing was on the wall, but there were some fans who were surprised. I think it's because Joseph is such a huge figure in Atlanta United's history. You know, he's, he's a really unique figure in that history, but he's not the same player that he was when he was really writing that history. The knee injury, and we probably won't ever truly know how bad it was at the beginning of 2020, but just the fact that he had multiple follow-up procedures in 2020 after the knee injury and, and the initial surgery and then had to have another follow-up procedure last year in April. I mean, it tells you that it was not just a run-of-the-mill ACL. He doesn't have the same explosiveness. And look, it's hard to tell what it is. You know, is it is it mental where it's more of like a trust issue with the knee? Is it physical that you just don't have that explosiveness? Is it somewhere in between? You know, I don't know if we'll ever truly know, but he didn't fit where Atlanta united was going on the field and i think the biggest thing last year that became an issue was over the years and and this was happening a little bit before the knee injury but it was happening in a good way he was becoming more of a complete player in in terms of not just being that guy staying on the back shoulder the defender making the run in behind and finishing he was getting more involved in build up he he was kind of checking back and playing one twos in the midfield that was a little bit of what Atlanta was doing in 2019 under Frank Boer, where they were a little bit slower in build-up because their, their back line had gotten just a little bit older and they had to protect them. They couldn't be as wide open. So he was heading this way anyway, which is fine. But last year, he was consistently dropping out of the 18 when the ball's going into dangerous spots. So Brooks Lennon gets down the right, trying to put in a cross. There's no runners in the 18. And Joseph was typically dropping into the top of the 18, where you want Tiago Almada in space on the ball. So it just, it it wasn't clicking and it never really did. And that's why Ronaldo Cisneros, I think, came in and was a pretty good fit for Atlanta United because he made those runs off the ball that opened up space for others. He led the press. That was something that, that Joseph wasn't really doing last year either. So it was sad to see after seeing what we saw here in the first three years, which is maybe the best three-year run for a forward in Major League Soccer history. And for a brand new team to have somebody doing that, they become an icon. So it's hard to say goodbye at that point. But this team was stuck with him in what he had become, and they needed to move on and get somebody who, like we're seeing with the Akamakis, is a little bit better fit with the group in terms of how he plays. So I I want Joseph to get well and and score a bunch of goals in Miami and play well except against Atlanta, of course. But I just, I don't know if he'll be that guy again. I I really think the knee injury was far more severe than any of us really know.
3: Yeah, Jason, and I wanted to ask you a little bit on the MLS season so far. I know it's still early. We're going into MLS week seven, but uh, is there a team right now in the East and a team right now in the West that you're keeping an eye on that maybe has surprised you? And I'm talking about FC Cincinnati, Philly, maybe Charlotte. And on the West, I know we always have the typical suspects LASC, the Sounders, and right now, St. Louis.
0: Yeah, St. Louis is fascinating to me. I mean, they're very Red Bulls-like in terms of the way that they play, but they have their own spin on it. Maybe they've been a little fortunate in some of their early wins, uh, but they've also created their own luck too, so you got to give them credit for that. I want to see, it's honestly the same question that I think we have about the Phillies, the Red Bulls, the teams that play off of the ball. When you get, as the year goes on, one, do your guys have the legs to keep pressing in the way that they do? And two, in those moments where you have to have that quality where you're chasing a game, do they have it? And I I don't know if St. Louis does. I'm not sure yet. Great start. Let's see how they maintain it. In the East, Charlotte is just a conundrum to me at times in terms of the way that they've been built because they'll do some some good things in the way that they play that I really like. And then sometimes the the lineups just won't really fit or they won't make sense or or guys that guys just don't fit together like Schwederski and Kopetti now. I mean, it, it, it feels mismatched. So you've got a nine who's not really a nine. And now you go out and get a designated player nine. You've got a winger in Yusviak who finally gets a goal this weekend and has a really good weekend. But he hasn't produced a ton up until this point. And it just feels like they haven't found their way yet. But the the fan base and everything that they're doing and building the club is very, very good. It's just, I think, getting a roster that is a little more coherent. I haven't seen much of Cincinnati this year yet. Uh, I want to see their next steps. From being a team that really struggled in this league for a long time and then getting a little bit of that Philadelphia, you know, magic going on with bringing in a bunch of Philadelphia connections, going into a style of play that has similarities to the union, but isn't exactly a carbon copy. Can they continue to progress? And and you have this question about Brenner leaving at some point. Are they going to be the same when he goes to Europe this summer, I'm guessing, the way that it seems like everything is pointing? And are they going to be the same when Brandon Vasquez goes to Europe, potentially this summer? I don't think they are. And unless they make the right signings to replace those guys, I think everything changes dramatically with that group when they lose that threat. So Lucho Acosta, one of my all-time favorite players in this league, I hate seeing him against Atlanta United because he's just so good on the dribble and such a wily guy, but he's going to need help and they've got to be thinking a step ahead. And I just, I feel like we've seen this in MLS before where teams get it together. They have a good group. They lose a player and they're not a window ahead in terms of replacing that player. And then it takes them till the end of the season. So let's say they lose Brenner and or Vasquez in the summer. Can Cincinnati still be the same team in the second half? Because either guys on the roster have stepped up or they've went out and got that replacement in before the window closes.
3: And Jason, one of my last questions before the guys uh, wrap up with you. We play you guys this weekend at Yankee Stadium. Just from somebody within the team and everything, what are your predictions? I know right now you guys are riding high. Um, Confidence is high coming out of the win against the Red Bulls. And we came out of a tie against the New England Revolution. We're kind of right now finding our chemistry. But just what are your predictions for this upcoming weekend at Yankee Stadium?
0: I think it'll be a fun match. Uh, I feel like Atlanta and, and NYC typically is. You got two teams with similar approaches. And it's funny, like Atlanta's had I know people get reluctant on throwing the word rivalry around. I don't care. It's fine by me. If Atlanta has 20 rivals, I don't really care. But Red Bulls has more of a physical rivalry. And it had always been that kind of bogey team for Atlanta. Whereas NYC, even year one, I mean, I remember the game up there in 2017, where it was really the first time that Atlanta just got thoroughly played off the park. And then a couple of weeks later, at Bobby Dodd before Mercedes-Benz opened, NYC comes down and Atlanta scored three goals in like fifteen minutes. I mean, it was insanity. And Via and, and Almiron were getting into it by the end of that game. So I like that Atlanta has different kinds of rivalries with the New York teams. So that that's fun for me. I think this will be a good game. I think it'll be a really interesting game in terms of Atlanta wanting to stretch the field wide, and there's just not a lot of width. So what does that do to how Atlanta attacks? Because those overlaps from the fullbacks, they're they're not as impactful at Yankee Stadium. They're just not. So you're going to have to be through the middle. You know, Almada, okay, great. I'm, I'm really happy you got him in a game like this. And this is going to be a, a tough one for him because people are going to be on top of him consistently. I want to see how NYC handles their their attack. Siegel, with the the start in the last game, does he get another one, or is it going to be Tyler Magno back in the nine, or, or is there another idea to this? I love the midfield for NYC, especially Rodriguez. Again, one of my favorite young players in the league, and I, I want to see how it connects. I do think Atlanta can get goals in this game. I, I really like some of the matchups against nyc's defensive line i think chanel could have some problems with the pace in a a big way here but i think nyc can pull atlanta's back line apart as well and get into some dangerous spots so you know i haven't really thought about a a prediction yet i think a draw with goals in it is a a pretty safe kind of prediction for this i mean i could see a 2-2 game that a lot of people are talking about afterwards
1: Jason, and for me, one last thing is: yeah. uh, if there's one thing that Atlanta has to watch out for, a specific player, a specific scenario
0: with the team, what would it be? I think it's when teams sometimes can can create those overloads um, in transition, where Atlanta's going to get numbers forward. I mean, the fullbacks are going to go to your central midfielders are going to go. You're going to be really exposed with your goalkeeper back, your two center backs, and Ebora sitting in front. Miles Robinson being the team is okay with that because you've got a ton of pace with him. He can clean things up. As we saw against Columbus, I think Noah Cobb has that pace, but he doesn't have the experience. So can they handle those moments where, you know, in in this game, Red Bulls caused Robinson some problems at times. I thought he went through a spell where it was about 10-15 minutes where he was giving the ball away, he really felt like he was feeling that pressure, but then he he got it right and he, he bounced back. Can teams create those transition moments through the middle? Because if they go wide, it gives Atlanta time to to get back and recover in a way. I, I think it's really through the middle because Ibarra, he's playing on another level this season, and I hope he can maintain it. He's, he's been the real underrated MVP of Atlanta United this season, playing in that sixth role and just gobbling up recoveries, but also getting stuck into tackles and being really nice on the ball but he's not the fastest, you know, he's not a guy who's going to cover a ton of ground as the six, but Rata solid speed, but not, you know, a a burner Robinson is, but that's one, If, if they can create overloads through the middle in transition and Red Bulls really weren't able to do that. And I thought they might be able to, I think there are teams that can, and that's what, what worries me at times. And, and after the Columbus game, I mean, it has to be a concern is okay. If you do get behind, what does the, the mentality look like? I think we saw it against San Jose early on that it was very good. We saw it against Toronto where they come back and get a draw. It was good. Columbus, it was bad. So when they fall behind, how does it look? And those are really the two big things for me at this point, beyond just PTSD from last year with everybody getting injured at the same time. I don't want to see that again.
2: And just one more thing, Jason. So yeah. we saw Caleb Wiley start at left back, and we know he's primarily like a left winger. You know, he likes to get up in the attack more. And do you think Luis Abram comes back into the lineup against NYCFC? Was it just an absence because of the international break? And again, totally not because I'm half Peruvian. Do I want to see uh, all three <laughs> of the nationalities on the field, you know, for the same time? Since probably Schalke's team that had Jermaine Jones, <laughs> Jefferson Farfan, and Kiriakos so Papadopoulos. It's just weird, you know, like. It's very hard to see those three nationalities on one team. So
0: We're trying to accommodate you down here. That's good. Um, <laughs> Abram was in Spain with the Peruvian national team, and that was where he had played last with the club team. And I believe it was some paperwork with Visa or, I, I, or Passport, I think, is what I'd heard. There was some delay, and it was worth having him get that worked out so it could, wouldn't come up later in the season. So. That was the timing issue with him. I think he got back into Atlanta on Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. So he was delayed returning to the team. Wiley came up as a left back, and that was where he played with Atlanta United, too, and, and where he got some experience last season, again, with the rash of injuries. But it's kind of the Alfonso Davies situation in terms of being a really talented young fullback who maybe you want to protect a little bit early on in their career with the first team. Don't put them with that defensive responsibility. Put them higher up the field where they can still impact games, but you're getting them experience. And Wiley actually got a good bit of experience at fullback last year by necessity, but this year with Andrew Goopman, who's been really good for Atlanta United, he gets hurt. The question was, what do they do? Is it Ronald Hernandez coming over from the right side? You know, does Lennon move over? Is it Aiden McFadden coming up from the second team and he's turning into a left back? Or do they drop Wiley and, and play Etienne? And, and, and I think in this game, with Etienne coming back off of a good couple of games for Haiti, finally getting closer to fully fit, and Wiley in good form but having a week to work with him as the left back, it was the right decision. I'd be curious to see in a game like this one coming up at Yankee Stadium, with it being more narrow, and the fullback's roles are a little bit different, maybe you can go with more of a center-back-slash-left-back situation with Abram on the left. We haven't seen much of Luis this season. You know, He came in a little bit later. Uh, came off the bench early in the year, but that's it. That time going on with the national team, a lot of times that can be a big boost to you. So I, I want to see how this week of training goes. But the confines at Yankee Stadium might give you the opportunity to do that where I think in a normal situation, maybe you wouldn't because you want Wiley's ability to overlap and get forward and stretch the field.
3: Jason, well, we want to say thank you so much for coming on. Before we let you go, where can the fans find you? If you don't mind dropping your Twitter handles or any contact. And thank you again for being part of episode 94 with us.
0: Yeah, Long Shoe pretty much anywhere on social media. Uh, You can find me there. Soccer down here. We're doing high school games. We're doing Atlanta 92 games. Uh, John Nelson's holding down the fort with the the morning show every day and tons of other content. 1v1s throughout the week. We're putting out a lot of hours of content at soccer down here. And then 92.9 The Game, Monday nights, I do Atlanta soccer tonight, usually at 11 o'clock. Uh, it can get delayed because of college basketball tonight or, or Hawks basketball during the season. But usually 11 to 12, talk about the last Atlanta United game, look around the league. It's always a, a fun hour that moves really, really fast. But we do a ton of content there as well. Uh, March to Match Day is a show that I've really enjoyed putting together this year. On Fridays, where we get the, all the audio from the week with Gonzalo Pineda, with Atlanta players that speak, with the opposing manager, uh, any players that they put out for media during the week, and try to do almost like an oral history leading up to the game. So that hits on Fridays, usually around lunchtime or so, and there's a video component on the 92.9 The Game Facebook page and their YouTube page, and also the podcast that goes out. So Longshoe, if you want to follow everything that I'm doing, I will let you know uh, on Twitter at Long Shoe.
1: Uh, Jason, uh, for me, one last question is, uh, apart from obviously your incredible knowledge in the game, where do you get your hats? You're one of the most stylish (laughs) persons in the booth.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. Like I had a concussion uh, about 11 years ago. And when I was starting to go back to work and I, I had like a more significant, I still have a light sensitivity to a degree. But at that time, it was really severe, especially with fluorescent lights. And I'm like I'm going back into like an office kind of environment and I can't wear a baseball hat in an office that feels weird. So I needed something. So I started getting the uh, the Kangol hats. Typically I'll go Kangol, sometimes I'll go with a different brand. A lot of times we used to have this awesome little shop in downtown Atlanta that unfortunately closed down last year the effects of COVID. The business had dropped in downtown, but now it, I Found a really good deal at Kangol.com over the break. So they run a lot of specials. I like the I like the solid color ones to a degree, but I like the ones that are just a little different. I don't need crazy, but just a little different. If I can get red or black or gray, I'm happy.
3: All right, guys, so let's get to the NYCFC portion. Eric, man, always good to be on with you. And let's get right into it, man, for this NYCFC game. NYCFC fighting back for a 1-1 draw on the road at Gillette Stadium against the New England Revolution. I want to start off with the starting lineup. No Thiago Andrade for this game. Nick Cushion going with the formation that we've seen many times already with the season, 4-2-3-1. We got Luis Barraza on goal. It was good to see Maxime Chano and Micha Lenich back from international duty. So much needed there. Back in the lineup along with Tiago Martins and Brian Cufre. James Sands and Keaton Parks in the midfield as expected. And this time we saw an MLS debut on, on the starting lineup for one of our new strikers, Gabe Siegel. Wearing number 19, the 21-year-old young striker playing on top. And interesting enough, we saw Thales Magno on left wing and Matias Pellegrini on that right wing. Nick Cushing did not start Gabriel Pereira. So that was interesting to see, man. And for the first half defensively, Eric, I mean, I'll just start off real quick. Defensively, we looked pretty decent. We looked good. But on the offensive side on the first half, I felt like we lacked rhythm. Offensively, those first 15 minutes looked like we were a bit of a step behind. We weren't creating clean passes. The distribution was a little off. We were a little slow on the counterattack, a little indecisive. What worried me the most is that we didn't have a single shot on goal in the first half. That was really concerning to me. But overall, we controlled ball possession with 58% for the entire game. Barasa had a couple good saves on the game as well against New England. I'll say New England looked a little bit more dangerous in that second half. He had a great save against Gustavo Bo and against Carlos Gil as well. New England got their first goal in the 70th minute with Carlos Gil finding space and getting through Richie Ledesma, getting through Maxime Chano and Alfredo Morales, who I feel like just didn't get there on time. But that was a great goal by New England. That was a heck of a goal uh, where they were up 1-0. And then our very own NYCFC answering back in the 80th minute with a corner kick opportunity. And Tales Mano getting through traffic and getting through that defense and getting to that ball. I don't even know how he did it, but wow, what a game. And going through Petrovic, who was having a great game defensively as, as their starting goalies. And I got to give a shout out as well to another MLS debut. The youngster Stephen Turnbull from NYCFC 2, 25-year-old defender coming in from Michio Lenich. But yeah, Eric, ultimately, man, I think NYCFC fans can agree. This one-one draw was was a favorable result. We didn't play the best, but I feel like on the road game, any NYCFC fan would take that. And we got Atlanta United next weekend. But let me let me throw it to you, man. What you think of the game and what were your thoughts on against New England Revolution?
4: Yeah, it was definitely a tough game. You know, it's it was a positive result in my eyes, seeing that we got a point away from, you know, not only a road game, but from a direct rival in the Eastern Conference for sure. I completely agree with you at the start. NYCFC were having, you know, there were sloppy passes. It was hard to create chances. Not only that, finished them. But um credit to you, New York. I, you know, they played a very high line, something that New England hasn't really experienced much with the teams that they faced um in the la- in the last couple of games. So New York played a high line. They were attempting to press. They were limiting space in that midfield. And you know, we kept a lot of possession. I'll be honest there, we kept a lot of possession. But the thing with that is with possession, you need to be able to do something with that. And NYCFC, we're having trouble creating quality and clean chances from open play, chances that we could finish, and um, you know, that comes down to I think just having a pure striker, having someone who can finish those chances, having someone who can give defenders trouble. Because Seagal and um, Magno, as talented as they can be, they're not experienced, they're not veteran in that role to I think create trouble for defenders. Yet they still have lots of room to grow. I just don't think they're yet. They're there yet, but. Crazy enough, these tight competitive matches, mistakes are bound to happen. And ultimately, on both sides, mistakes happen. And guess what? Goals came from that. Literally on both sides, from the young bucks of each team. Specifically, Jamie Sands, you know, he made a mistake. And Kylos Gill, an amazing goal, honestly. Look, as an opposing fan, I have to give credit where it's due. That was an amazing goal, amazing finish. I don't even know how he made that from the tightest of spaces. I was like, that's, that's, it seems almost like it's the smallest of spaces, and he made that goal. And on the New England side, an actual Buck, you know, James Buck, who, a young guy, he, he also made a mistake, and that led to a New York City FC corner kick, which ultimately led to a goal. That is Magno. Look, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Second game, second goal. Keep that consistency, keep it going, because I think if you are going to play that number nine role, you need to see goals. You need to see that ball getting to the back of the net. And I'm happy that Magno got his second goal. I'm happy that, you know, corner kick goals, they're they're tough to make. They're they're very tough to make. And, you know, just making it off a set piece really shows strength and character of the player. I'm excited. But I'm happy we got that point away. Now I'm looking forward to Atlanta.
3: Yeah, Eric, absolutely. And I, and one thing I want to point out as well, Eric, NYCFC fans would have seen this, but if that goal that got called offside with Mitchell Lenich, that he had a, an own goal, if that would have counted, this would have been a different game. So that just kind of shows a little bit of that chemistry that we're still trying to build. And definitely for the New England game, there were a couple mistakes that could have cost us. And I'm glad that goal got counted offside because it would have been a 2-1 a loss for us. Absolutely, man. Eric, let me just talk again real quick. We have Atlanta United coming up this Saturday, man. We're back at home, back at Yankee Stadium. I'm glad you mentioned Thales Magno, getting in the rhythm, getting his second goal. I think that boosts his confidence. How do you feel uh, coming back at home and playing against Atlanta United at Yankee Stadium, where we always say we play different, we play better at home?
4: Oh man, Ronnie, I'm I'm worried. I don't wanna jinx this, man. I, I said it last time on the last episode, I don't remember for what team, but you know, Yankee Stadium is a fortress. We've been in terrific form in yankee stadium i mean look look at our results we have two wins two losses two draws obviously away it's very tough for us but those two wins have come in yankee stadium and listen, I'm not saying we're this season we're better than Atlanta, but we got the best of them last season. Taking a win from them at home and their home and drawing 2-2 with them here at home in Yankee Stadium. Now, on the other side of things, I think Atlanta are in much, much, much better form. I mean, they're, if I'm not mistaken, they're second in the Eastern Conference. They've only had one loss. But mind you, that was one of the biggest loss we've seen so far this season, losing 6-1 to the Columbus crew of all teams. And look, I thought after that beating that they took, they would be in pretty bad form. But hey, they beat the other subpar New York team in Red Bulls yesterday. And it was a good game to watch, honestly. Atlanta are a strong side. And one of the things is they they don't have a problem, which we do. They're able to not only create chances, but they're also able to score them. So I think this game against Atlanta United is really gonna test our defenders. It's gonna come up to see, you know, I'm curious to see who Cushing is going to put in the defensive backline because Atlanta can create chances. Atlanta can score chances. They're one of the top scoring teams in the league. I still think this game is in our hands, and I'm going to give it a 2-1 win for NYCFC.
3: Yeah, man, absolutely. I I think it's going to be a closer game than what we realize, Eric. I'm probably going to go with a 1-0 win, if possible, uh, at home, just because I think we can grind away three points at home. I think we, we are going to play better this weekend. I think the New England game gives us some lessons that we can kind of take from that. It kind of It's also still a buildup from our previous game as well, so I, I think it's much needed. Eric, one last thing I was going to mention too. I think I mentioned it in the beginning of the intro, but no Thiago Andrade against New England. He wasn't even in the on the bench. He didn't travel with the team. Sources are saying he's being linked with Brazilian club Atlético Paranense. And I don't know. This might happen. It might not. I'm hoping it might not just because we really need the depth. But if we were to lose Thiago Andrade, man, how much of a big hit would it be for, for us here at NYCFC, man?
4: I mean, I'm thinking of it now. It, things are really just coming full circle for uh, Andrade, you know. The team that he's... Length with is the team who he scored his first goal with and it's crazy to think that but um I think as a fan looking from the outside it's a bit sad to see one of the more talented players leave especially with the quality that he offers off the bench especially with not only that but the depth itself you know and if your team is pushing to make playoffs and just over the course of the season as players experience wear and tear Having a player like Diego Andrade on the bench who can come in late games or start a few cup games, it's extremely valuable to have a player like that in your ranks who can just come on whenever one of your starting 11 players are injured or just worn out. So I'm I'm I am a bit sad about losing that depth. However, I can totally see the rationale behind it. Maybe from a player perspective, he just wasn't getting the game time. I mean, I believe if I'm not mistaken, his only start was the first game of the season against Nashville if I'm not mistaken. And um after that, we've seen moments where he comes off the bench and I think he it's more about a, you know, game time decision. You know, you want to play consistent football, you want to start the games, you want to score the goals. And for, from his perspective, I see it seems like a good move for him to maybe get that game time that he wants. From a coaching perspective, maybe Nick Cushing is more fancied with the players he has been using on the wings, which have been Pellegrini and Pereira, who I believe he's stuck with those players for a while now. And I think those are his two ideal wingers. Every now and then, he'll probably bring in Sego and play Taez Magno on the wing, which is his more suitable role. But um, it is a bit upsetting, but it's totally understandable. I think there's not necessarily a space for him on the team, and he wants that game time.
3: Yeah, absolutely, Eric. If we were to lose Thiago Andrade, man, that'll be a tough loss. I actually still have that goal in mind against DC when we saw him score on that second half. Still a great goal, man. I think he adds that extra spark, that extra layer of intensity to the team. So, But on the good note, we do have Richie Ledesma, who's been getting some minutes, and I think Nick Cushing's looking to incorporate him into the starting lineup in the next couple games, and I think he's putting a lot of trust and saying a lot of high words of praise for Richie Ledesma, so um, we'll keep an eye on that, and we'll be keeping an eye for this upcoming Saturday against Atlanta United. It's going to be a tough game. They got themselves Thiago Almada, Brooks Lennon, Luis Araujo, the Brazilian. Oh, man, the Atlanta United this season are looking bright. Like Eric said, they're second in the East right now, just behind FC Cincinnati, our boy Brandon Vasquez. So, yeah, this this Saturday is going to be a game to watch. Don't forget to give us a follow at Soccer Subs Podcast on Instagram, Soccer Subs Radio on Twitter. We'll be back next week with episode 95, already getting close to 100. And everyone, thank you guys for the support. We'll see you guys next week. Everyone take care. Have a good one.